Hello and welcome to a special Ask the Mayor on Noon Edition right here on WFIU. I'm Joe Wren sitting in for Bob Zaltzberg as today we broadcast live from Michael's Uptown Cafe in downtown Bloomington with Bloomington Mayor Mark Cruzan who is down to four weeks, so 30, many days. Uh, 37 30 days. days, 14 hours, 12 minutes and, and 15 seconds. And okay, as Mayor, Mark Cruzan has been a monthly guest on our Ask the Mayor segment for many if not of all all of his 12 years in office and we wanted to kind of end his role on the show with a little nice send-off so it was either his dorm room back in teeter quad where it all began i don't know how many years ago we, we that one we we can live out if gotta you do the math on that i'll get back to you and I, I just can imagine us walking into your 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 <laughs> dorm room with a student saying, "Hey, look, it's Mark Rosan and Joe Rand, and of course the student." And they and they would all universally say, "Hey, it's Joe Rand," <laughs> and there's some guy with him. They would say, "Get out of my room! We're calling the police." Uh, Michael's Cafe is still open for lunch. We're here over here in the bar area. We'd love for you to come join us, say hi, ask the mayor a question, or just make a comment. So step up to the microphone. We have someone here that will get you on the air. Uh, and if you're in the area, we have, what, free parking over at the downtown? Free parking right behind the uptown on the uh, free three hours, and then the parking garages. Absolutely. All right. And you can. And I do, this does lend, you know, lend the question, uh, are you buying? today yes it's okay. it's on the house all right because today the starter is corn chowder and the entree <laughs> is the frisco melt burger and we do, Ooh, I, do that I really good. i really appreciate that the uptown allowed us to do this i'm yes. right here in the front window kind of the uh who is that mayor in the window i'm hoping to be <laughs> hoping to be adopted by the end of the show uh this is where i had my very first political meeting in bloomington indiana uh i met with bill sturbaum who recently passed away uh just a great guy and a great candidate and he and I were running against one another in 1986 for the state legislature and uh, Bill wanted to get together to talk about the rules of the game before we went into the election and something that you of course do not see in politics much anymore where someone running against you would say let's get together and and have a civil discussion about how this election is going to, to work and it was here on a afternoon and I had coffee with with my opponent and just a great guy and a great example. But let's go as far back, though, as Teeter, that was where it all started. So you started your, your political career in the dorm room. What were you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was 1978. I came here for the School of Journalism down from the region. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I actually went to work for the IDS. And there was something called the Gripe Vine, very much like the consumer column, the hotline in, in the HT. Um, and my ego was such that I answered a question about IUSA, the student government, and thought, well, I could do that. And so I did. I ended up running. I had no political affiliation. I had no real interest in or knowledge of politics. And just, I was really wanted to be a journalist. I, I, if I had to attribute a day that got me to where I'm here talking to you, I know it sounds odd, but it was September 5th, 1972. It was the day the Israeli athletes were attacked in the Munich, at the Munich Olympics. And I was watching it for the sports aspect of it, the journalism aspect of it took over. Uh, my next Christmas present was a subscription to the Chicago Tribune, got me interested in current events. And so when I got into Teeter, that's what I really wanted to do. But then that led me to government such as it was. Well, and if you cannot make it in here to the restaurant, you can send a question to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can tweet us at Ask the Mayor. Of course, we have our live chat on our website, wfiunews.org. And we have people right here, someone ready to uh, ask a question or comment. Go ahead and go ahead and start with your name. 
Thank you. I'm Jean Emery. And first of all, Mayor Cruzan, thank you for all your years of service and thank all you've you. done. Thank you. Um, it's a two-part question. Okay. Uh, pretty, pretty big, great basic. What is your most proudest accomplishments over the past 12 years? And then on the flip side, what maybe you're were most disappointed in that didn't happen the way you sure. felt it should? So that's a one-part question. And, <laughs> uh, Thank you. You know, the proudest is the assemblage of the staff, uh, the people who run city government. And I've my adage over the years has been we have uh, about 600 people making a city of 80,000 work. And especially my cabinet, the people who have led the departments, uh, you know, over the years we set out to try to change some things. And maybe the proudest of all those for me, just what I'd set out to run on, was the expansion of the definition of economic development. That we didn't want it to simply be about the bottom line, but we wanted it to be about quality of life being synonymous with economic development. So that's why uh, we went from a department that had had uh, a, uh, an economic development director, and we changed that to be a department. And as part of that department were the arts, sustainability, small business advocacy, and really expanded that approach to what we considered economic development. Later, we started to refer to as economic vitality. So the staff that is, makes this city work uh, is what I'm most proud of. And um, the downside, sadly, was that out of 600 people, we had a couple who decided to enrich themselves at the expense of taxpayers. And that cast a shadow over the entirety of the staff, which was understandable. People want to paint government with a broad brush, but I, I absolutely know that it was entirely unfair to paint that staff with a, a broad brush because 99.99% uh, .99 of those people show up every day to make this city work. Thank you for the opportunity to actually to answer that first off. So do, do you remember, if we go back uh, 12 years ago, of course, when an, a new administration starts, they, they just kind of walk into things, as always happens as time goes on. Absolutely. What, what were those main things that when, when you first started as mayor that uh, you just kind of had to jump right into? Well, it's uh, weather becomes the first one, and snow control uh, was a big change. And people might not remember, at that time, the city was using sand to treat the streets, and we switched over to salt. Uh, that was something that the city council, Jason Bannock at the time in particular, was interested in. So, I mean, that literally was one of the first things we had to jump into. But really, it's the learning curve. And that's why, again, I talk about the staff. You know, you have to remember, when I came in, um, we only made about three changes in our cabinet. So I had the benefit of people who had years of experience, and you start to learn. Now, you obviously have your own opinions and ways of doing things, but ultimately, you have an awful lot of people to depend on who are expert in their areas and uh, have done so much to make this, this city great. So why end after 12 years? You know, um, in part, I said this in jest, but I guess there's some seriousness to it. I thought if I run and if I win, uh, by the end of that term, I'd be 60, and I wasn't sure I wanted to be talking about deer potholes and parking <laughs> meters when I was 60. Um, in part, it's also, I think it's time for new ideas, new energy. Uh, that's when I, when I endorsed Daryl Neer, that's exactly the phrase I used because I wanted someone who will step forward and really have some new energy, new ideas that um, I think it's important to have that kind of turnover and, and um, move, move along. I, you know, I, I've said, and I'll probably end on this note, that uh, anyone who enters public office ought to go into it knowing that they're just passing through. Uh, this, the, all this talk about um, what is your legacy going to be kind of makes me laugh. I, I just feel that that's not what you should get into it for. And 
uh, in the spirit of you're just passing through, uh, know that you know, you're going to try to make a difference while you're there, but there's an awful lot of people going to come after you that are going to do just as well. Yeah, and you said that last month, too, during the, our November Ask the Mayor about the, the, the thing that there, there is no legacy. But if it, for you, though, what do you want people to remember your term here as? That I, that I was the one who said there should be no legacy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I hope that they feel it's a friendlier government, that it's a government that looked at things like economic development and didn't just see that bottom line, but did see quality of life, um, that, that, the, that we tried to change the nature in which government itself operated. And even uh, one of the most immediate things we did that first January of 2004 was to open up City Hall to be a truly public building, that it had always obviously been a heavily utilized government building, but that we turned the atrium into basically an art gallery, that it was something that the public could um, could access, artists could access, again, as part of the economy, but also just a quality of life amenity in, in Bloomington. Uh, we wanted to have, and we did, very, I was very proud that we were able to have the uh, Black History Month kickoff be held in City Hall. It wasn't a government meeting, it was a public meeting. Uh, that same year, we, or like the next year, we opened it up for the 4-H to use it for their sign up. And people who'd never been in City Hall coming into the building was an extremely gratifying thing. It was the kind of thing we wanted to do, was to open up the doors, make sure people knew it was their city hall. What's the, the toughest part about being mayor that, that people wouldn't know? Well, I think everyone probably could guess. I mean, it's the uh, volume and uh, un the unexpected events. I mean, that's mm. true at all levels. Um, and I think most people would expect that, though. You know, there's still many big uh, issues to talk about, too. I-69 to Bloomington opens Wednesday. Um, that's always been a hot topic for years here. Uh, not something that you were in favor for, but now it's here. Yeah. You always said NDOT was good about keeping you up to date. Uh, what's something that the city is going to have to adjust now that this interstate is coming through sure. the city? And I, and I do, I have to say that even at, I said to the HT, I was inter being interviewed by yesterday, uh, whether you consider it the depth or the height of the debate between the state and the, and the local community on I-69, there was always, much to the shock, I think, of probably a lot of people, there was always open dialogue between NDOT and the city of Bloomington. Even when the state was saying it was going to, threatening to pull funding from the city, we were still having conversations. And an awful lot of good things have happened that the state didn't have to do that they did. Um, High among those would be the Tap Road interchange, even though it's closer to 2nd Street than what might normally allow for another interchange, the state has agreed to and uh, putting in the interchange at Tap Road, which will allow access to businesses, the medical community, the Wallery Stone Mill. Um, and then you've got the 2nd um, and 3rd Street bridges are being widened f to allow for pedestrian and bike accommodations, something that is not the norm. Uh, for interstates and for interchanges around, uh, probably around the country, but certainly around the state. Uh, I think, though, that we all still need to be vigilant about two main things, and that's the unknowns when it comes to cost and when it comes to congestion. When it comes to cost, I don't, I don't think anyone's identified how much I-69 ultimately is going to cost, but that's a state and federal issue. The true local cost issue will be to the city government, the county government, um, who's going to pay for, how much is it going to cost, and who's going to pay for all of the ripple effect on the community, the access roads, for instance, 17th Street. 
uh, with all the overpasses, obviously there'll be increased traffic, greater needs for infrastructure improvements, someone has to pay for that, and then congestion. You know, when we look at Kenzer Pike being closed off and uh, what I call the Cracker Barrel exit, uh, Whitehall Parkway or something, whatever it's called, uh, with that being closed, Third Street is going to have to absorb quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of congestion. And I don't think we yet know what those costs are going to be. Uh, we also don't know what the opportunities are going to be. And I think all of us who opposed it really do have to look at that interstate now and see it as what are the opportunities that we can make. Let's just remind everybody, we're live at uh, Michael's Uptown Cafe in downtown Bloomington with outgoing Mayor Mark Cruzan. If you'd like to call in 812-855-0811 or from outside the free calling area, 877-285-9348. You can also come down right here to the cafe and ask a question. We have someone right now. Go ahead. Start with your name, please. Uh, I'm Tim Mayer, a member of the Bloomington City Council. Really like to thank Mayor Mark for all you have done for our community. It's, it's been a really good ride. And I will leave the uh, question as to what's next to somebody else. But I would like to know if you'll still be an item on the comedy scene in Bloomington. <laughs> you, you mean my appearances at the city council? Yeah. Is that what you're talking, <laughs> talking about? Well, I, thank you, Tim, for what you said. And, you know, that was, that was an opportunity I never thought would come is the, uh, the opening of what was then called the Funny Bone is now the Comedy Attic. Uh, it is known nationally for um, the caliber of comedy it puts on and national acts that come here that they don't go to other communities this size. And uh, they, the uh, Dana and Jared Thompson, the owners, asked me to do my quote-unquote stand-up. Uh, it was for a charitable event. 100% of their proceeds go to uh, the cause of their choosing every year and that's so it's been a great opportunity it is also incredibly intimidating uh, you know <laughs> you you tell a couple jokes at the start of a speech that they don't go well that's fine you do, you're not, that's not why you're there when you go and get on that stage and yeah. the first two don't work it's it's intimidating we have another question from an audience member uh through online here we have a world population seven billion and growing planned parenthood has been under attack what can the city do to be more supportive of planned parenthood and thanks for your service well, that's very kind. Thank you. And I will say, you know, with Tim Mayer just having been up here, that this city council has absolutely been supportive of Planned Parenthood for decades, not just, not just this recent time uh, where, where it clearly is under funding and sadly literal attack. Um, and I think that it's about as, I don't mean to say that there's not more that can be done, but I, I really feel that this city council has spoken both with its votes, its dollars, and its words. I mentioned parking earlier, and that's always a topic here, whether you're with Indiana University or here in town. The meter's not paid off yet, but you always said that this was about managing the parking spaces. Are you happy with the results of where the parking situation is now? Well, happy is a pretty liberal word to use about parking. But, you know, you talk about I-69, and I'll make the link, is that the impact on the community of I-69 is unknown. It will certainly lead to increased population, and we hope to increased uh, economic vitality. But when I think of parking, I actually do think about how I-69 will be impacting us, because what parking meters are is a reflection of growth. It's a refre reflection of the congestion in downtown. And it was a parking, meters are a parking management tool. Uh, we knew that we had about 1,400 parking spaces on street, and you can't grow that. Uh, you know, you can build additional facilities, but as anyone in the council will tell you, 
Uh, they are not money-making enterprises and, in fact, are, are uh, a drain on the city's budget. So it was important to us to not simply look at parking facilities, but you've also got the growth of hundreds and hundreds, probably now low thousands uh, more people living in the downtown area than were there when I first took office 12 years ago. And they all have cars, they all have guests, they all luckily have customers. Um, as we look downtown and see very few open retail spaces, that's great news, but that does mean employees and customers trying to access the downtown the same time all these new residences, uh, residents are. So that was a parking management tool. And so far, it's not, you know, we haven't seen the dire consequences that some had predicted. Um, but it's, there's a long way to go. There's still going to be a challenge as to the number of people coming into downtown Bloomington and where all those vehicles are going to go. And I think that's what we have to rely an awful lot on public transportation for a long-term solution. We have Bloomington Mayor Mark Ruzan here, 877-285-9348. We're live at Michael's Uptown Cafe downtown. Come on up to the microphone. Love to hear from you. To kind of go along with that, though, uh, uh, downtown development. This was a huge issue, too, especially the last couple of years with the Graduate Hotel coming in downtown, the growth of downtown increasing. Imagine 12 years ago, a lot of these buildings weren't even here. Uh, you tried at one point to ban, was it chain stores, chain restaurants, yeah. downtown? I like the word restrict. But restrict, I'll, but I'll, but okay. I'm leaving, so okay. I'll go with that. Okay. But there are always two sides to this. There's the people that want to keep that charming, sure. that what they say, downtown Bloomington, and then there are those that say Bloomington needs to grow, it needs to prosper. Yeah. Um, is the downtown moving in that right direction? Well, to some extent, there are two groups saying that. I think most people are saying both things that they want to protect the small town charm and big city amenities, uh, but they also know that you can't just allow your community to die in the vine. Most people are familiar with cities in the state of Indiana that have suffered because their economies have bottomed out. Uh, so, you know, when I look at the balancing act of Bloomington, I lived in downtown for 22 years um, and, you know, lived in a, on 6th Street. Uh, I was on 7th Street, but on 6th Street when the, Prin the, uh, the uh, Princess Theater partially collapsed, uh, when right up the street from us here at Fountain Square Mall was an abandoned building and being held up by beams that extended into uh, Walnut Street. And so you see in my lifetime, my adult lifetime here in Bloomington, how things can go one way or the other. And there's been an incredible renaissance in downtown through all the private investments that have been made. I hope people view that city government has been a part of that. Certainly county government's commitment to remaining in downtown made a big difference. Nonprofits that employ 10% of our workforce, a lot of people, a lot of things have come to fruition in this downtown. And what people do forget, just because it's human nature to do so, is that when you look back then, there was also a concern about sprawl. And so the last administration was faced with that every election. You, couldn't look, you could not run for county or city office without sprawl being pretty much the forefront of your campaign. And a very determined effort was made to try to increase density in downtown and to have the growth be in the downtown area. So it clearly has succeeded. And many would argue, and I'm among them, the pendulum has swung too far the other direction. So not what we're trying to do, and I think the next growth policies plan will do is look for a balance in that demographic, that it's not just student apartments, uh, but year-round residents, uh, active senior living, retirement living in the downtown area, and, uh, and, and a level of affordability that is missing right now. So I think the city has done a pretty good job of trying to balance out the issues as it moves forward, and, and it will continue to do so. 
that's something that al has always come up too, is that balance of student housing, and we're, we, we see that in, in every project that goes in, but is there anything the city really can do to restrict that from a sure. developer, a private yes. developer who wants to come in and build? Sure, yeah, I, I think you know, in part what we were looking at with the uh, technology park was we had, a, had a have a developer who's interested and willing to sign an agreement that says that there would only be year-round leases. Uh, that no co-signers would be allowed, which is typically the way in which student housing would work. So there are restrictions. There's no legal protection for students and housing. Uh, so yes, there are there are absolutely ways that, that can that can be done. But remember that if you look at all of the student housing that exists in the downtown area now, uh, those students were going to be one of three places where they are now in the downtown, remaining on campus, which simply just to be competitive, this university could not require. Uh, many people will say just make them stay on campus. Uh, the city has no power to do that. I don't think the state would want to do it and the, and the university wants to remain competitive. They are improving their housing options and quality on campus. I think it'll be more attractive in the long run. But the third option is the one that people don't really consider. And that would be where else this housing would be built if it weren't downtown. And that would either be in established neighborhoods or on the periphery of the community. And once you do that, You've increased the number of cars. You've increased the number of people who are having to rely on automobiles to get to and from campus. Uh, we do have to take a break. Uh, before we do, just let everyone know we're broadcasting live at Michael's Uptown Cafe. Anyone can come in, watch and listen, ask a question. You can also call us, leave a question for Mayor Cruzan at 812-855-0811. You can contact us on Twitter at AskTheMayor or on our website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition to be part of our live chat. Take a short break. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. And we're back at Michael's Uptown Cafe live in downtown Bloomington as we uh, send off Mayor Mark Cruzan. Uh, feel free to stop by. We have Barbara, our reporter, wandering around, be able to bring you up to the microphone and ask a question. There she is. And uh, of course, you can still, if, you're, if you can't come in, we have our uh, live chat online, wfiunews.org. We also have our email, news at indianapublicmedia.org. And of course, you can also tweet us at Ask the Mayor. You know, part of being in your position, too, is whatever you say, whatever decision you make, there's going to be those who disagree. There's always be some, of course, who agree. I have not found that agree. to be the case. Oh, stop. I, I know better than that. I have not found that to be the case. Is that, how, 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 that's something you just have to get used to over time. I was a member of the House Democratic Caucus and was elected to be majority leader and worked with the very far right Democrat and the very far left Democrat and was seasoned by the time I got to this job. Uh, you have to expect differences of opinion. You know, I think the difference is, and I guess it, it, is, it did somewhat surprise me, is up in Indianapolis, you'd have the big differences and then you'd kind of move on. In fact, you might even in the same day you've gone to war with someone, uh, join up with them on another issue. I found in local politics there's uh, there is a level of, um, there's a different, a different feel about things like that, and sometimes those differences fester and become much more personal, and that's, of anything, I think that's probably been the most disappointing there. Um, you know, there's, I've used to refer with James McNamara, my first deputy mayor, I would talk about how there was the hundred. There's a hundred people who kind of spend the day talking to each other and emailing and chatting and texting all day, um, and, you know, that group, 
feel sometimes like it's the voice of Bloomington. I know they think they are, uh, but sometimes there's you know more backstabbing going on there than there is a Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, and you have to remember that of that hundred, uh, you know, there's another. 80,000 people in this community. And I always try to remind even those who are elected to office, including, you know, certainly try to always remind myself of this, you know, I was elected, but 73,000 people didn't vote for me. That's something to, you know, keep you, to keep you humble, to remember that, uh, first of all, not that many people are voting in that election, but even of those that do, uh, you know, that's, that doesn't reflect the entirety of the community. So it's, you gotta be careful about getting into that echo chamber and. And, uh, and know that there are so many people. I mean, I look at the faces, I'm trying not to look at the faces because it makes me emotional to look at them, but people who are here today, and these are the people who really are dedicated to making Bloomington work and are willing to know, willing to get into it, even though they know there are people who will disagree with them because they feel strongly about the direction the community is headed. We have a question from a caller, Tom in Bloomfield. He wants to know if you're going to be going to the opening of I-69 on Wednesday. No, I have to say I've I'm going to uh, decline. I, I think that that's a celebratory event, and um, I simply feel it would be insincere to attend and pretend I'm celebrating. Right. I'm not trying to say that I believe it's going to be stopped. There's actually, a, they don't tell you about this, Joe, but there's actually a second event for those of us who oppose the highway. It's going to be a ribbon cutting held after the interstate's been opened. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you'll be there. <laughs> I'm sure. You'll I, come back for yeah, that. They'll, they'll push me out there. You know, you touched upon the uh, tech, the uh, trades district earlier, yeah. and, and, and I think we will go ahead and follow up with that and and then i see we have a question too um but it seems like the hang-up between those two proposals for the large part of that district is that housing component but developers see that as enticing so to kind of make sure their deal goes through is, is there much negotiating do you see in that room for housing and tech well there's a bigger obstacle and that is that uh six the six department heads who have been most close to that project are all leaving at the end of the year. Uh, and with their departure, other staff, other board and commission members, and even uh, a developer has now begun to wonder what happens to us if we continue to move forward. So FNC has actually asked that their proposal not move forward this year. They'll take their chances with the next administration. Um, and uh, the mayor-elect has already said he opposes the uh, CTP partners proposal, so it's dead in the water. So I, I think that what will happen is you'll see, I hope in January, people will pick up on that. The good news for us has been that Denise Alano Martin and so many other people on staff have worked so hard to get a foundation laid where that momentum is going on that, on that park. In fact, uh, when the question was first asked about accomplishments, you know, a more specific thing that I think is probably something that the city council, I always tell the city council they don't celebrate their successes enough. And one of the greatest successes we've had in the last 12 years came this past year with the passage of the bond, the bond that will fund the switchyard development, the certified tech park, the trades district, um, the animal shelter expansion, as well as solar panels at different facilities and a lot of other sustainability uh, projects. So that momentum is going, the foundation is laid, but I think that absolutely you could work out the, the housing aspect to it. There's, that's just one component, that five and a half acres. It's a 12 acre parcel. So you've got an affordability uh, project that is being offered still across the street. You've got the historic buildings and the Showers Administration building in particular. Uh, I think CFC might 
might be uh, a group that we should be reaching out to. The city should be, won't be me, but the city should be reaching out to. Uh, I think they've got some exciting ideas for that area, and they've got an incredible track record in Bloomington. So I, I think there are an awful lot of opportunities there that can be worked out. We're live at Michael's Uptown Cafe with Mayor Cruzan, and we have a uh, question from one of our audience members. Go ahead and, and start with your name, please. Uh, my name is Mark Brown. Uh, hello, Mayor. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I bring greetings from Kathy Harbaugh. Thank you. And the realtors across the state. Uh, and you'll be happy to know this is not a budget question. Okay. Will your beard be a better look than David Letterman's? And when will we see it after you're out of office? I, I could only aspire to be the Santa Claus that is David Letterman. And uh, Mark, it's, you're one of the faces I look at, and it, uh, it does take me back because I met Mark when I was in state government, and Mark was a, the, the leading budget voice for the state of Indiana. Uh, he mentioned Kathy Harbaugh, who I knew as Kathy Pensick, and she was my first campaign manager. She ran my campaign for student body president in 1981. Um, so I, I will tell you this, I went to Canada with my wife, uh, her family had years and for years made a, uh, uh, a fishing trip up there and they took me and I didn't shave the entire time and I will promise you it comes out just as white as David Letterman's. There you go. All right, we have another question. You're awfully good, Mark, to say. Uh, I'm Charlotte Zitlow. And uh, I've been involved in local government for a long time. There's one thing that I think I would like to have seen more of, and I'm not, I don't know that you could have done anything about it, and that is the, the integration of different of diverse groups in the, in the government and in the city. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about how we still might work on that, and is it desirable? And when you say that, do you, uh, tell me specifically, Charlotte, what you mean in terms of... I just mean I, I see people of all one color. <laughs> right. And, and mostly, uh, I, I think that uh, there are a number of uh, minority groups who are not totally involved. And no. that would include low-income people. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I was wondering when you said, if yeah. you meant race only. Yeah. yeah. I, I know we succeeded and we failed. Uh, one, I remember my very first uh, debate in the, in the election in uh, 2003. And uh, my opponent, Republican opponent, said, you know, there's not a single minority working in City Hall. And I can't remember if it was Pat Williams or who, but it was someone in the audience and I was making eye contact with, is, is that right? Uh, now that's changed. It doesn't change near to the amount, uh, to the level that I would prefer, but it has changed. And in part it changes because you go out and actively recruit, but you go out to people who can, who can actively recruit on your behalf. Uh, the one thing that we have succeeded at that I really set out to do was to diversify the boards and commission membership. Uh, when I first came in, there were actually city employees who were on many of the boards and commissions, and we took off all city employees from boards and commissions so that we opened up more positions for citizens. Those are, after all, citizen panels. But I also did not want a commission to reflect uh, an underserved population or an underrepresented population simply by its name. In other words, to be less politically correct, uh, I didn't think that the only African-American citizens on a border commission should be on the Com Martin Luther King Commission. So we actively tried to recruit people and get word out and have succeeded to a point where uh, we've got a, a 
a board, the Board of Public Safety at one point that not, not by design, but just ended up because of the best candidates and people that we actively recruited, where we had the minority were white members. Uh, so I think there are ways you can continue to do that. And once you start, word spreads that you're open. And I think, it, I think it's a, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy one way or the other, the success or the failure. The other place in which I feel like we could do, we could do better, and I, one of those things where you start to think toward the end, things you regret that you haven't got done, one of them is the uh, Safe and Civil City project that I really wanted to integrate it more with the police department. Um, I mean, we have had, I've had two incredible leaders of that police department, Mike Hostetler and Mike Dekoff, and um, the outreach to the entirety of the community, especially now with our downtown program, uh, downtown resource officer program has, has made a, a big difference. But I think we can do more to take the safe and civil city component of city government, which is in the community and family resources department, and do a better job of integrating it with the police department. I think we have even better community policing that we have right now, and I think would help with, with breaking down barriers that sometimes I think people don't get involved because either because of reality or perception, they don't believe that their involvement is welcome or is going to be taken seriously. All right, thank you very much. We are at Michael's Uptown Cafe. You can join us if you can't be here. Uh, news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can call us, 812-855-0811. You can contact us at, on Twitter, at AskTheMayor. Uh, a few of the other things that I wanted you to just kind of reflect upon, too, the Beeline Trail mm -hmm. was a big part of, of, the of, of, of your 12 years, and now we're seeing development starting to, yeah. to which was the whole point of the Beeline Trail. Yeah, you know, that started with Tommy Allison's administration, went into the Fernandez administration, and then we were uh, we secured the land and, and the financing to build out the trail. Uh, uh, and the quote, my quote at the time that was being used by the, uh, the Parks and Recreation Department was that this is the greatest economic development project that we have in the city. And so it's... If, you know, within the community, people think of it, of course, as a trail. Uh, the Parks Department actually thinks of it as a linear park, um, and I look at it as an economic vitality tool. It is exactly the kind of thing that I said in the open, and that is that quality of life is synonymous with economic development. That is important as it is as a trail for transportation purposes, recreational purposes, uh, health uh, purposes. It's going to be something we have seen now is spurring private investment. And the same is true of the Switchyard Park. And we've purchased that land, and we've got the 69 acres down there that will add to that part of the community. And I think, I try to remind people, think of what, think of what the city would be like without a Bryan Park. It's hard to imagine that because it's always been there. And at some decade, people will look back in the Switchyard Park, whatever it's called, and we'll see that same thing. But it's not just about the amenities that will be offered there and the opportunities for that part of town, it'll be about what's private investment is made around its, around its boundaries. We have a comment I want to uh, pass along here. Uh, John Weichart says he couldn't make lunch today, but he wants to extend his appreciation to Mark for permitting him the opportunity to serve uh, the city as deputy mayor. Well, I appreciate that. And every time I was here with John when he was with Ivy Tech, he bought lunch. So I'm a little, dis <laughs> little disappointed he's not here today. Uh, there have been uh, committee meetings, public forums on the hospital redevelopment mm -hmm. site. 
Has there been any progress made on that in the last few months, or what's your take on it? I think the progress is that there's some public input now, and some uh, the input process will allow for ideas that are community-wide. My goal there was obviously I knew that I wasn't going to, we weren't going to complete that process by the time my time was done, but I did want to establish momentum, and I think with the citizen panel that's been created, um, that that will that has happened, and there are people, you know, Charlotte Zetlow at the microphone here. She's not going to let anyone forget that that committee exists. Vice Simpson, as its chair, uh, was done very intentionally. She's someone who I've, you know, grown to be friends with, but more so to admire over the the years. And uh, there again is another example of that's a real that's a real loss to the community to have that downtown facility gone. Uh, it'll probably be four or five years before the new facility is built, and there's, there was a success that came from it, is that at least it was still will be within the city limits. It will be um, in an area that I think is much better than where it was originally headed. But you still have uh, the question mark as to what will be there, and people are now starting to really imagine what that can be. Uh, questions still have to be determined, just like with I-69. What is it going to be? How much is it going to cost? And who's going to pay for it? And the hospital, especially as a nonprofit entity, uh, obviously knows its own duty to the community as a tax-exempt um, facility. And so I know there'll be a full partner in that. But it'll be up to the city government and the community to negotiate exactly what those terms are. 812-855-0811, Twitter at Ask the Mayor. We have an online chat room at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And we only have about 14 minutes left. So if you're in the restaurant and want to hear at Michael's Cafe and want to come up and ask a question, Barbara here will get you all ready to go and up to the microphone and would love to hear from you. Uh, just a couple more items, too, that I, I wanted to bring up of many things we've talked about throughout the years, and that is the, uh, the transportation in Bloomington as well, the, the bus system uh, now with a new regional bus uh, service coming to the new transportation center. Yeah, moving from one location to the other. Yes, right. And then, on, and then on top of that, uh, we can kind of sneak in uh, bike paths and, and all the different uh, trails that have been built that you've looked over throughout the years as well. Yeah, I've even lost count, but I think I, I was shocked when we first started to add up. Susie Johnson and her staff added up a couple of years ago the number of miles of, that we've added to our trail system, and it is, it is phenomenal. Uh, and I know the city will continue to do that. It's got to be a, a focus. Uh, when you look again, as I talked about the congestion that's coming to downtown with the increased density with the I-69 and the, you know, our population grows at about 1,100 people per year. Uh, it's a much bigger city. When I first moved to Bloomington, there were 48,000 people here in 1978. Now we're pushing 84,000 people. I mean, that's a, that's, that growth is larger than almost all cities in the state of Indiana. Uh, so we've had a city upon, put upon a city in the time I've lived here, and of course that will continue at probably a greater pace. So you've got to rely on all forms of transportation. The big issue for transportation comes down to money. And sadly, this I was going to say the state, and I don't mean that to be partisan because both parties uh, really have not stepped up, but it's also true nationally. This country just hasn't kept pace with modern transportation alternatives. Um, we've relied on you know, our vehicles. I'm as selfish as the next person. I love to, re love to rely on my car, but it's going to take a change in philosophy and a change in funding patterns to really make a difference. Uh, is, you know, all the things over the years I would like to have seen changed in my time um, would have been Sunday service for Bloomington Transit. 
Uh, I don't know that it's the number one highest demand of, uh, a, of transportation users, but I think it's probably high on that list, if not number one. And it's simple, simply a matter of dollars and cents that the transit system can't afford to do that. So looking for ways, either either using city budget monies, which we have shied away from doing, as opposed to simply relying on ratepayer money and federal funding, um, or getting the state government and federal government to uh, better invest in those those alternatives. And I was actually going to just lead into that. There's a lot of we've talked about many statewide issues too, and a legislative session coming up this next year. Uh, road funding being one of those. The governor has his proposal. The Democrats came out with theirs. Uh, yeah, and there's your problem. Yeah, is you've got two problems there. One is we've dug all of both parties have dug such a deep hole in underfunding traditional transportation that now we've got billions of dollars of uh, of needs, and in either the Democrats or the Republicans' transportation funding plans, that's for traditional transportation. It doesn't turn to rapid transit. It doesn't turn to the bus system. So around the state. So that's that's the problem is we've we've not we've got such a deep hole we've dug for ourselves with traditional transportation that it's been hard for us to redefine traditional transportation as including transit of other forms than than relying on vehicles. So that that is going to have to change and um, and especially with with increased efficiencies in vehicles, the gas tax revenues have gone down. Um, nobody wants to be for a tax increase and and so that's that's going to be a real dilemma as to how you're going to fund those things. And then maybe what what and are the, and if I could really yeah, quickly yeah. interject because Charlotte talked a little bit about uh, a lower income. I mean the people who most need the service and should be able to rely on that as a public service uh, are least able to afford rate increases. So it really does have to be. It is incumbent upon all of us to. Uh, to fund those kind of services. It's good for the environment, it's good for the economy, and it's plain and simple good for people. What are some of those other b bigger statewide issues, and maybe not just even for Bloomington, but you know, any city throughout uh, this area that should be looking on or uh, keeping track of for this upcoming legislative session? Well, we claim we're a home rule state, and, uh, and yet we see a lot of preemption. There's the politics of convenience when it comes to local control, and over the years we've seen local control actually has uh, eroded that gun rights now can only be dictated by state government. You aren't allowed to use your local standards as much as some people run for office claiming that local government governs best, the government closest to the people is best, uh, that's only sometimes. Um, the issues now uh, that we're seeing with even the um, RIFRA and that the, there's a there's a bill now, Senate Bill 100, that would preempt local ordinances, local human rights ordinances. Uh, so I mean, I think that it's it's been it's it's kind of an irony. Is the more conservative the state government has become, the more intrusive it's become on the rights of people at the local level. So that that's something for that I think both parties and at the local level need to be cognizant of is that their their controls are under under attack. We still have just a few minutes left, so if you'd like to come up and ask a question, come up and find Barbara. We're here at live at Michael's Uptown Cafe. You can also send us an email, news at indianapublicmedia.org, or you can tweet us at Ask the Mayor. So uh, 
earlier on this week, I met with Greencastle Mayor Sue Murray. She's leaving as well. And she told me she has a one-way ticket to Florida in January when she's done. So what's next for Mark Cruzan? Uh, well, I should have called Sue and seen if I could have gotten the second ticket. Um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to uh, regaining a little bit of anonymity. Um, I will say when I was in the state legislature, you could, um, you could probably, you know, one out of every hundred people might stop and talk to you about it. When you're a mayor, people know the issues. They know their opinion on the issues. And, uh, and it will be. It will be nice to return to some level of anim anonymity. Uh, I have found one of the more humbling experiences I've had uh, was when I was, David Sabag and I were running and we were down at a park, a park event and I sat, I saw him campaigning with some people as I was speaking. So I went over, I got to make sure I got to get their vote, sat down and talked to a couple of uh, former RCA employees uh, for about 15 minutes. And I thought, okay, I've turned them, I've got their votes. And at the end, she's, the, the woman said, it was really nice to talk to you, and, and you are who again? <laughs> and I said, I'm Mark Cruzan, I'm the mayor, I'm running for re-election, and she said, and I knew she was gonna say, whatever happened to John Fernandez? She said, whatever happened to Tommy Allison? <laughs> and I thought, that's a good thing to keep in mind, and so maybe that kind of anonymity would be nice to return to. Other than that, I'm just gonna go follow the uh, IU volleyball team and, and cheer them on to victory, um, and I don't know what, what's next. I know I'm gonna take a little bit of time, try to get a little healthier, gain a little weight, and, um, and come back here and have lunch without a without an interview. <laughs> and I see the volleyball coach is here, here, but I'm not sure why. I did not know she was here. Here's and your so wife. Do I get She's bonus here. points yeah. for mentioning her without knowing she was here? You'll have to ask All her right, later. I will. <laughs> you know, I worked for her mom uh, in 1981 and two. I started to go to work as an hourly employee at IU, and I worked for Carol Dunbar, who became my campaign treasurer for 14 years. And uh, so I've known the Dunbar family forever. Uh, Larry, who passed away a couple of years ago, one of the, just a role model of a person, and uh, Cindy, Sherry's sister, and Sherry Dunbar, uh, greatest human being on the planet Earth. What are gonna be some of the toughest lasts this month for you? Well, that was one of them. <laughs> um, you know, things that people would be surprised maybe are, have been some of my favorite things um, that aren't the things that are, I, I, we set out years ago to say that no pet could be adopted out of our shelter without having been spayed or neutered and had no plan. I mean, I remember Julio Alonzo, who was the public works director at the time, he's got, what did you just do? Uh, and we got very fortunate that Pets Alive came into existence and we've been able to really, uh, to scale that, that problem back. Um, the other thing that Sherry is tired of me talking about, every time I'm on the bypass and I see the side paths, I'm very proud of that. I know it sounds like an odd thing to point to, but that's what I will remember and will miss because that was the kind of thing that you could have an influence on. Tom Makuta uh, and I had nobody working with us. There were people either for or against that bypass expansion. What we couldn't do was get anyone to agree to work in the middle because they were so busy fighting each other. And uh, we really worked with NDOT to get that, those uh, side paths put in. So every time I see people using them, and more and more I'm seeing that, um, I'm real proud of that, but I also will miss that. I'll miss the opportunity to be able to negotiate toward, toward some, some solutions. And the other one uh, that I will point to and be proud of is Banneker, because there were some discussions going on to mothball that building, and it has been expensive. It, it, I understand why people didn't want to spend money on it, but I think it was important for a lot of reasons. Uh, the history of the community, the west side of Bloomington, and just the fact that it's a historic building itself and story it has to tell and how much of a community center it is for people. So those are the kind of things that 
I will miss, um, I won't get to set the Halloween trick-or-treat hours anymore, <laughs> the incredible power of a mayor. So I'll miss an awful lot of things. For those who want to get involved with the city but maybe haven't, and you know, we, we know about low voter turnout, what, what would you say to those people? Never underestimate your individual or collective clout. You would be shocked at how much of a difference you can make. And every single city council person that's on the council now or has served in the council uh, ever would tell you the exact same thing, that if you show up and you get involved with boards and commissions or just come speak to the city council, we won't always agree, but you will, your voice will be heard and you may have far more impact than you think. You might remember uh, former RCA employees opened a time capsule about a month or so ago, but it was from 25 years ago. If you were to put in items in a time capsule to be opened 25 years from now from the mayor's office, what items would you put in there? Well, I, you know, again, honestly, it would be a list of the staff members' names who are working for the city of Bloomington right now, especially the cabinet members. Uh, I've said this in a number, I, this has come up as a common theme in the last year where I've talked to people and said, you know, <clears throat> no one will remember that you cast this vote or that you were the one who came up with this idea, um, but they will remember that someone was there. We look around this downtown, some of us know some of the names of people, you know, you look at, I'm looking at the courthouse right now, it's Charlotte Zitlow. Um, but as time goes on, be more and more people saying, who are you again? And who was that again? That's why the legacy thing means nothing to me. But what does mean something to me is that whatever you put your time and energy into today will be there for generations to come. I have no idea who the people were who made Brian Park a reality, but look at what they gave to the community. 20 years from now, 25 years from now, no one will know who did the switchyard park, but they'll know they have that switchyard park. So we're, we are down to one minute left, so I'm gonna let you have the final word right here on WFIU. You know, I really just wanna say thank you to you, WFIU. My very first radio interview was with Margaret Joseph, and I was horrible. I was drenched by the end of it. It was embarrassing, it was a great lesson. You've been much kinder, and, uh, <laughs> and I've appreciated the opportunity because this is a chance for people to directly contact their elected uh, officials. And I also just really want to thank Charlotte Zitlow, John Irvine, and most of all, Marilyn Schultz, who was my predecessor in the legislature. Charlotte and uh, John were the ones who said, you should run for office in 1986 when, believe me, no one else, including me, was thinking that was possible. So I really appreciate it. Vi Simpson and Matt Pierce, Jerry Bales, Peggy Welch were fantastic colleagues to work with. Uh, and, um, and Pat Williams, who's been a Madam Chair of pretty much everything I've run for. So thank you to all those people and to my staff. It literally wouldn't be possible without them. This has been Noon Edition on WFIU. Thank you.